Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real life property, business, and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. Um, if you're tuning in, you're probably wondering where I've been. I've been around. I've just uh, been having a bit of a break, doing what I do, holiday season. Uh, I hit the target for the podcast, which was to have one out every single week. So I got to those numbers quite quickly. So I thought, you know what? Uh, rather than doing a Tedge and carry on going, I'll just take a little break and just uh, chill with the family and do what you do over the seasonal break. But I wanted to get this one in. You're probably going to hear this in the new year, probably the first day of the new year, with a guy I've wanted to get onto the podcast for quite a while and talk about uh, how I feel the world's coming, not coming to an end. I don't want to scare anyone, but how I feel the world is changing and how I feel there's a lot of people out there that are quite naive if they think shit's just going to return back to no normal post-COVID. And if you think you're going to get back up and get on a train and go to work and everything's going to be normal, I think you've got another thing coming. So D Ludlow from the 5am Club, thank you so much for joining me, buddy. Mate, it's a pleasure. I'm I'm, I'm happy to be here. Oh, great stuff, mate. I know I said I was going to save the best to the last. And, you know, <laughs> this literally is being recorded on the 30th of December at, you know, what just gone three o'clock in the afternoon. So it is the last one of the year. So I have actually saved the best till last. <laughs> appreciate that, mate. appreciate that. So, mate, I'm going to start off with, you know, obviously we're in a time at the moment where, you know, it's a strange time. Things are just as you, you you think things are getting better, but they just start getting worse again. You think you're out of the shit and things get bad again, you know, and we're now in London, we're in a tier four. I don't know, are you guys in a tier four as well? Yeah, same, tier four. <laughs> and I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure what tier four means because I go out onto my main road and I still see traffic. I still see people everywhere. I walk into the supermarket a day before Christmas and people are just round everywhere. I mean, we're this close to each other, so... What the fuck is tier four? I mean, the only thing I could say is, I mean, we went into central London this morning and it is damn quiet in central mm. London. There is no body around and it's it's spooky, you know. And I'm sitting there with my mum and she goes, oh, this reminds me of the war. And I'm like, <laughs> mum, you were never in the war. What do you mean the war? <laughs> She's like, no, this is what I'd imagine it'd be like, like if mm. this was the war. So, yeah, it's spooky quiet in central London, but everywhere else people just seem to be getting on with shit. But you know yeah i don't know what tier four is do, do they know what tier four is <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea mate well you know i think i think we're heading for a tier five and if anybody wants a text message from me explaining <laughs> tier five i'll send that to you a little uh, personal joke but i sent it to d last night and it was yeah. quite funny <laughs> i actually thought you were being serious i thought i was just about to look at the news do you know what? i actually phone i'm flying out in a few days and I'm, my friend that i'm flying out with I, I was literally trying to call him before I even clicked the link. And then, yeah, if you if you want to see the message, just hit James up. You'll you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so, D, tell me, what do you think's going on, man? You know, you've got your theories. You've been on quite a few different podcasts talking about this. People have had you on lives talking about this. You know, and you're a sensible guy. You've, you know, you've, you've mentioned some good stuff to people. And I think people have taken on advice. Some people have probably just laughed at it. But now this guy's not talking nuts, mm. but... What's going on, mate? Tell me what well, do you feel is going on. There's definitely going to be a change in our financial system, whether we like it or not. Um, there was it was already happening before COVID. Um, you know, I mentioned back in January, the Bank of England was talking about rolling out a cryptocurrency, um, which would be direct from the central bank. Um, back then, when I don't think I, I didn't mention it in January, but I think the first first time I mentioned it was March, and I did, like you said, I think a few people was sort of looking at me like I was a bit tinfoil. Um, <laughs> but since then, we've seen that central banks have been rolling out digital currencies globally, um, especially China. China's in completely full effect with their digital currency. And we need to think, you know, imagine, um, you know, at the moment, we, the US has got the global reserve currency and is basically pegged because of the petrodollar. Um, but yeah, as if we look at the the use of the petrodollar and why it's there. And then we look at the euro dollar and different things like that. If we, if we imagine China, considering they're the ones that's been first out the gate with this, 
Imagine they let other countries download their app and start using their digital currency. You know, that would definitely start a currency war. You know, it doesn't matter what part of the world you're in anymore. If they can issue loans to anyone, if you download the app, then you don't need to go through the bank. You know, they don't, the, the, the retail banks don't need to loan you the money anymore. The central bank can loan it to you direct. Um, and in this case, obviously, it's the People's Bank of China. Now, it's basically no different to what America's done with the petrodollar. It's just in a different format. Um, you know, they've made every country own dollars to buy oil. You know, and so the reason the banks are lending as easy as they were pre-COVID is because obviously we're in a global pandemic uh, with a lot of insolvencies. You know, we've seen some of the biggest retail and restaurant chains in the UK and well, globally go into administration. And some of the biggest stores that we've known growing up um, that we didn't expect to fail, they've gone into administration. So with the insolvencies and the global pandemic, it's obviously forced the banks into a bit of a situation. And they they did show their exposure quite early on. Um, but the, the difference with a central bank is the central bank um, aren't like retail banks. Retail banks are businesses, so they need to focus on their profit and loss. Central banks don't need to do that. Plus, there's easy access to a lot of cheap credit. So central banks aren't restricted to profit and loss. They basically have a limitless supply of money if it's used for productive means. And if they focus on the young demographics, um, which they're going to target for adoption, then you know they have a big presence in Africa, big presence in South America. Who knows if they start allowing other countries outside of China to download their app and use um, their digital currency, then... Yeah, it's definitely going to cause currency wars. So yeah, back to like when I mentioned about a change in the financial system. For those who aren't familiar with um, Bretton Woods, um, if 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 you just Google it rather than me explain this <laughs> in length on the podcast, but they've caught the IMF have called for Bretton Woods 2.0, and yeah, this the COVID's just sparked a lot of reactions. We've been in a long debt cycle for for many many years, and I feel that we've been kicking the can down the road all the way since 2008. You know. 2008 in some people's lives was some of the worst uh well it was a financial crisis so it's probably some of the worst times they've experienced but that's i personally don't think that's a touch on what's happening here we printed quadruple the amount of money that we did then to print our way out in s- such a short a space of time we're talking months um i think we printed around four two to four trillion in about four years it might it may have been two trillion we printed almost eight in a couple of months is, is, is way worse than people um, think it is. But because things have been propped up and there's been loads of incentives put in place, it just doesn't look as bad as it is. Mm. Do I want to ask you a question? When you say petrol dollar, is that what you refer to as, you know, when they're, when they're trading in oil, they're trading in other bits and it's always, Oh, the dollar price, the dollar price, the dollar price. Yeah. So, um, so basically America did a deal with Faisal to, that everyone had to purchase oil in dollars and by doing this it formed the petrol dollar so they basically exchanged um the deal was that america was basically their military protection um so in saudi arabia they basically made um made the deal and everyone had to convert their currency to dollars to buy oil which obviously increased the value of the dollar and it made everyone need the dollar so it's basically the global reserve currency. It was, it was, it was, it was a great idea. You know, <laughs> everybody needed dollars um, to, to survive. And that's what basically pegged everything to the dollar. Um, and the, the use of dollars was used all around the world. And that's what I meant about China. If China do a similar thing um, with their digital currency, they could steal the global reserve currency. And, you know, the thing is, no one's going to allow it to happen very easily. But yeah, I think that we're not going to be looking at like um, wars as we know them going forward. I think it's going to be like currency wars, cyber wars. I think that things have changed so much. Uh, we've seen tech and exponential growth for many years, and we're seeing it right now. It's in front of our eyes. People's had to adapt to the way tech is going, whether we like it or not, because we've been forced to stay at home. Um, so like, you know, my mum wasn't very big on zoom. She'd never used zoom before in her life. But, um, when we first had lockdown, I think it was back in March, I was go, I'd go and see my mum and she'd be on zoom with her friends having <laughs> zoom parties. And I was like, how do you even know how to work zoom? And it, 
so it sort of forced us to have a bit of education on tech, no matter what age we was at. And as you can see, like tech companies are the ones that's won in all of this. You know, Amazon was a powerhouse before. Now, Amazon's just, you know, I think Bezos said that Google was a mountain that you can only climb, you can't overcome. I feel like Amazon's that mountain now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you, mate. I agree with you, especially with tech. It's just... um, you know, you just uh, Zoom used to be quite a serious tool that people would use to have a meeting, and it was quite a serious, boring old tool, you know. And now it's just like, oh, you know what? Let's have a Zoom call. Let's have a Zoom. Let's have a Zoom party. So you're right about tech companies really going forward with that. And the other one that got me was Peloton. I was looking at Peloton mm. the other day, how they've just massively grown as well through the lockdown, and it just makes so much sense when you think about it but pre-lockdown you're thinking oh who really wants to log into a bloody video and do a cycling class to everybody and now you're thinking give me that peloton man give me that treadmill where i can run with other people and compete with people yeah it's and when you when you think about these companies um the valuations on these companies now i i just i just don't understand them you know like we just seen I did speak about it on my YouTube, but when we was talking about Airbnb, like they've never ever posted a year's profit since they started in 2008. They're not a profitable company. Same as DoorDash. Airbnb and DoorDash has never made any money. And I think Airbnb is worth a hundred billion. Like, I don't understand. It's, it's, It's like millennials are flooding into these companies and just, I don't. I just don't understand the valuation. To be fair, right now I don't understand the market. Like, if you look at it from a macro point of view, every indicator is pointing to the complete opposite of where we are today. Uh, you know, I know this is a mainly a property podcast. So when you look at um, property, like we should not be in all-time high, highs as a housing market. It, sh- it just shouldn't be happening. Now, um, if we if we talk about it, so the UK is um, is the largest residential mortgage market in Europe. So it's got a total outstanding residential lending around 1.7 trillion euros. So a mortgage is a very important financial product, which keeps the market moving. So if you think about it, right, we never build enough houses ever. Mm-hmm. Each year, we never build enough houses because population is also in exponential growth. So it's very hard to keep up with building enough houses. And, you know, there's... So if you think about it, when we look at supply and demand, right, if we don't build enough houses, then there's always going to be demand for houses. So supply and demand becomes quite irrelevant and it's not the right indicator to go off when you look at the housing market. Now, the availability of credit is the indicator that basically determines whether house prices will rise or fall, because if there's no credit available to buy houses, then not many houses will be bought. So, you know, that will, really that, that would make house prices decline. So when we've seen COVID, um, and it, when it first made an impact in the UK, lenders instantly deleveraged. They didn't want to lend because everything come to a halt. So really, people should be looking there and think, OK, so how exposed are the lenders? You know, and people keep saying banks are liquid and this is a health crisis, not a financial crisis. But yeah, in reality, it is a health crisis, but it's exposed the financial system and is it's going to lead to a financial crisis. It's already started. You know, the, if the banks are so liquid, then why would they increase minimum deposits, drop loan to values, and then why are surveyors going out and downvaluing houses in a booming housing market hitting all-time highs? There's no reason to downvalue a house in a booming housing market. It's, it's, it's a huge disconnect at the moment between the both. And I feel people have just got, I don't know, it's like they got blinkers on. I, I don't know what it is. People are like, I see, look, I invest in property too, right? I love property, but... I'm also a realist. Now, it's great when you first um, start something or you've been in something for a long time and it's always worked. You, you, we instantly, as humans, look for confirmation bias to why we, we try and justify, justify our opinion and we look for anything to confirm why we're right. We don't look to challenge our opinion. And as soon as I started challenging my opinion, I started finding things that didn't sit right with me and I didn't like it. You know, I was looking for everything to... to point me in the direction that the property is only good at the moment but yeah look if you bought when if you bought this year and you could and you did the works and you flipped in the same year you know then cool you would have made a lot of money same as in the stock market if you bought at the start of the year and you held on you would have made a lot of money but everything's just artificially propped up 
that's that's what the government's done and you know the government's made the housing market their main priority they 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 know that the main confidence in the general pub- public comes from our housing market you know in the states they look at the stock market a lot more you know over here we if the housing market's strong then we we have confidence in 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 our economy and yeah it's, it's unfortunate the way things are and who knows how long they're going to push it down the line but you know let's be fair if there was no stamp duty incentives there was no furlough there was no mortgage holidays there was no grants or bounce back loans how how would the housing market look right now you know <laughs> yeah i think you're right mate that's a question i've often asked myself as well i mean where i live it's quite a quite a nice sought after area and you know i've seen property come on here you know i'm talking i'm not talking cheap i see one come on the market here for 2.6 million quid and it was sold in a week and you think to yourself this is ridiculous. Who is buying 2.6 million quid worth of real estate? Forget 2.6 million quid. There's stuff selling for 900. There's stuff selling for a million. And you're just thinking to yourself, Jesus Christ, because as soon as the board goes up, a day later, there's a sold sign. And you're thinking, wow, there is some real confidence in this market. And I can understand the cheaper stuff, you know, stuff closer to 500 or below 500, having the stamp duty bonus on it. And like you say, um, there is a real confidence, but I, got, I don't get it. Who is buying that kind of commitment at this time and this day? Mm, yeah, it's, well, if you think about it, we we've already seen insolvency start happening, right? I think that they are happening on a way broader scale than than the media is showing us. Because as you can see, anything to do with property in the media is only good news, everything. So if we have loads of sales, but we're not we're not having as many completions, they don't show that. They only show um, the sales because it looks good. And that's obviously what the government want us to see right now. And there's no conspiracy theory. They've definitely focused on keeping the housing market booming. Now, if you look at it from the logical point of view. So look, if people default on debt, then it contracts the money supply, which is deflationary. And when a government initiates monetary policy or fiscal policy, which causes increasing government debt, then you're replacing debt destruction with debt creation. And then that ratio between both decides on if the price of goods goes up or down. So when you're looking at uh, inflation, you're looking at debt creation. So that's when they're printing the money, such as Um, government because banks won't be lending so companies then will be borrowing through the corporate debt market through qe which we've seen happen over and over again Um, so this is how the stock market and these companies get the huge valuations and it gets artificially inflated so you know if debt creation exceeds debt destruction such as debt defaults then that's that's when there's a chance for inflation or even hyperinflation like we've seen in many countries around the world uh, but if you have debt destruction faster than debt creation, then that causes a deflationary effect. So if a bank fails, which I think most retail banks will, that's when you're going to see the huge pressure from the retail banks to the central bank. And that's when you'll see the central bank pushed forward, which we've already seen because most of the central banks are rolling out digital currencies. So all this printing, and you know, we've seen that monetary policy does not work. They've printed and printed money, but the velocity of money is still near enough at zero. You know, people are being given money, but then forced to stay at home. And that's when the lack of transactions within the economy forces the velocity of money down. But the velocity of money has been in free fall since 2008 anyway. But it doesn't matter if you keep printing without any transacting, it doesn't doesn't do anything. So this is why I feel that I've been looking at this from every possible angle thinking, right, nothing's rolled over the stock market should be on his face the housing market should be on his face but it isn't and the printing the printing money hasn't done anything so i'm like how are they going to solve this situation now central bank uh, central bank digital currencies will solve it to a certain extent but i feel the only thing that can possibly get the velocity of money moving is a ubi so a universal base income so if they do a universal basic income and say Um, This is probably where they'll roll out the central bank digital currencies. So if they said, look, um, James, download this app, your money that was in, say, Santander or Barclays is now held at the Bank of England, the central bank. Um, We've moved the money. It's still here, but you need to download this app to get it. And if you download the app, then you're going to get 800 or 1000 pound a month, um, which you have to spend within four weeks or it'll disappear. Now, if they did that to everyone, whether you're, you're employed, unemployed, whether you earn £100,000 a year or you have £10,000 a year, it forces people to spend money within the economy, which forces the velocity of money up 
sector. And then that's when you start to see economic growth again. But whether they're going to get to that stage where they can sort of do that to get out of this situation they're in now, I don't know whether it'll work or not, but I can't see any other way of them getting the economy moving again. Some companies are never coming back. Hospitality and tourism is going to be the way it is now for a very long time. Because you're not only relying on economic growth, you're relying on people going out spending money and you're also relying on people having confidence to go out and not catch COVID. Because right now, you see my mum, if you speak to especially um, the older generation, they're scared to death because every single day they wake up and the news tells you how many positive cases there's been. Now we're seeing in this talk around this new strain. Um, Every single day there's, there's fear being put into people so you're not just relying on people spending money anymore you're relying on people having confidence to go out there and mix with other people and Mm. i think that's one of our biggest problems oh wow mate you had me propped up there listening (laughs) (laughs) wow some 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 really useful stuff there man i'm really i'm liking this whole this idea of a digital currency i mean i don't understand stocks i don't understand digital currency all this stuff so i don't go near it you know, anything I don't understand, I don't touch. But even me, one of those old stubborn boots realizes things are about to change and shit is about to get real. In your opinion, D, what should be happening to the property market right now, given what's going on? Well, realistically, you know, if if we had no, like I said, any incentives in place, if there was no mortgage holidays and there was no furlough, then Unemployment's not in a good place anyway. We've seen the biggest companies like Sainsbury's, John Lewis, they, they're laying off thousands of people, right? So if there was no furlough, like, you know, they're laying off people anyway. So if there was no furlough and there was no mortgage holidays, how many people would have defaulted on their rent already? They, and you've got to think, right, when things go wrong, let's say you, the, the average person in the UK, we either have rent or mortgage, um, usually a car payment for, from a car loan. And most people got credit cards and credit card debt, right? So usually the first thing, you're going to go in order of priority. So first of all, you're going to be like, okay, I'm just going to default on my credit card first because I need my car and I need my house. Then it's the car, then it's the house. But if there was no furlough and you was just laid off, like some of these people, like you, 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 should know, you would know this better than me because in London, people earn a lot more money. So if you're in London and you've got a decent job and you're earning that six to eight grand a month and all of a sudden you get laid off, then... I dread to think what the size of the mortgage that person has or rent. And I dread to think what car they got parked on their drive. I mm. dread to think how much credit card <laughs> that they've leveraged because they know they can um, service the debt because they're earning good money. So if that person there uh, loses their job and they have no incentive, furlough, grants, bounce back loans or whatever it is, obviously they won't have a bounce back loan. But you know, if they lose their job and, they, and all the incentives go, then the housing market, they would default on their mortgage or their rent. So whether you're a landlord or whether you're the lender, you're going to be feeling some sort of pain. So it would have already rolled over 100%. There's, there's, regardless of how much you love property and how much um, how much faith you've got in it, it's common sense. It would, have, it would have rolled over. People would not be buying houses unless you're super wealthy and you've got loads of cash reserves, then you'd be picking up all the deals. But if you're just the average property investor that's leveraging wherever they can and using angel investor finance and all the other stuff, the property market would have collapsed 100%. I have no doubt about it. And, mm. you know, I just feel that it's easy to have cognitive dissonance and no one to look outside the box. But the fact of the matter is, if people default on rent and mortgages, then straight away, banks are definitely not going to lend because we've already seen it though. People, banks already on the fence about you know i'm not a a mortgage broker but you know banks are already on the fence about lending with people at furlough if they lend at all if you're on furlough the chance of you getting a mortgage is very slim if you're not on furlough and you actually got a steady income your your chances are still slim because you now need more money as a deposit if if i'm I'm talking about home buyers um and let's be fair james you know like in Wales and London, the numbers are just different. Same same thing all around the country, just the numbers are bigger in certain areas, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in Wales, if you look at, say, somebody who's looking for a £100,000 house, um, and then right now they're going for a little bit, they're going overpriced everywhere pretty much in the UK. So let's say that house is now 120 k but then the, the value goes out and says it's worth ninety. 
Now, I know for a fact most people in Wales who are going, regardless of what job you have, most people's savings, right, they ain't going an extra two or three grand, let alone another 30. <laughs> so, and in London, you've got to mac, mac the, the numbers on, on a much bigger level. So if, if, if a house is 500K, and let's say is now going for 550 or 600K, and the person, uh, and then the value has gone out and downvalued it, say 50K, they've got to find a couple of hundred grand. Like the, mm. this is happening. So the, the sales and completions are, is a completely different thing again. Like I, I'm not convinced that the amount of sales that has been happening, which has forced these all-time highs, I'm not convinced that a huge amount of them are, are completing. Like the cash buyers are completing, but the ones that are looking for for mortgages, you know, I'm, you know, we we both talk to brokers all the time, right? And I know that the brokers I speak to are getting deals over the line every single day, which is which is great. You know, um, I don't want to see this collapse. You know, I, I'm I think that's good news. But there's a lot of people who are struggling, and they're, they're going to continue to struggle because I don't think this is going to get any better. Now we see the new the mortgage products go on the market. Oh, there's ninety percent lending now. There's this. There's this. Cool. You know, go and get it. Like if you can get it, great. But end of the day, this is what happens when when things stricken and they tighten up. The people that are in great financial positions and they have really good incomes, they're the ones that are going to get it. They're the ones that are going to get the money. That's it. Mm-hmm. The people who are, who are your average Joe that have got average job on an average income, they're the ones that are going to struggle. And it, it happens every single time. It's, it's, the, it's the same cycle. And it, it, it baffles me when people try, try to say that the housing market and the stock market isn't in a bubble. Like, no, student, um, so, sorry, so since 2009, student loan debt has increased by over 100% in the States, auto loans by 50%. And I think the total outstanding debt, I think, in the private sector is increased, it's over 80%, right? So if we had a debt bubble in 2009, then I, I ask people, okay, so what do we have today? You know, the, the, the public sector is way worse. It's increased like over double and, and it's in the trillions. And you've got to think, right? So global debt to GDP is over 300%, right? And growing. Now, so, that, so that tells you straight away, that's definitely not in a good place. So most Brits and Americans, right? We have our money in usually three assets, right? So we have it in pensions, stocks and shares and home equity, right? So if our stock prices drop, like they did in the financial crisis, which that could quite easily happen because we've got a well overinflated and overvalued stock market, then that will instantly blow up the corporate debt market, which will straight away blow up the pension market. You know, so if the stocks and pensions go, then that's going to ultimately, it's going to freeze credit facilities, which will pop the housing bubble again. So if a consumer loses the majority of their wealth, then spending will go down and so will the economy. But this disconnect here leads to stimulus again, which is not working, as we know. (laughs) Interest rates should be rising, but they won't. So that's like another disconnect, which is why we need a monetary reform. The debt cycle has gone too far. And that's just not from my point of view. If you talk to any, not talk to, but if you listen to any macro investor or any person that has any common sense in this field, in the world, they all say exactly the same thing. This isn't just me and the, the decision that I've made. I've listened to from my opinion, the best voices in the world who can talk about this. And I've been trying to challenge my opinion both sides on every single time. And the outcome is the same every single time. This this is this isn't in a good place right now. And anybody that thinks it is, I think they need to reassess their opinion and dig a little bit deeper to what's going on. Mm, wow. Mate, you sent a chill down my spine there. As if I wasn't scared before, I am now shitting myself. (laughs) (laughs) Mate, do you know what? It'd be lovely to see what the actual completion rates are. You know, you hear that the sales are at an all-time high and you see that typical map outlined of uh, Great Britain and you think, oh, I've got an investment area there. I own a few there. And you're thinking, that area is booming. It's up 7.6%. But are they showing us the completions? Are they showing us how many are actually going through to completion and people are actually owning these properties? Or is it just based on right move sales data? Yeah, exactly. And I see I see people all the time post on their Instagram, um, like Zoopla and right move data all the time. Um, but, you know, how you got to look at like, are we going to trust these platforms? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't trust them, but are we going to trust them? Because if you look at, um, we're, in, we're, we're sort of in, in an era of where behavioral economics have, has, has 
rose to the occasion. So by that, I mean, we're in a situation now where um, Facebook, people pay for space on your timeline, right? So they work out what you like and then people pay and they put the space on your timeline. We've seen, um, you know, when we look at back at Cambridge Analytica, right? The, the, those days when they said that it was, it was wrong what they did by swaying the public's opinion. Facebook's just done it again now. Mm. Facebook decide that like, it feels like Facebook and these social platforms play God. They can, they decide who's president. They decide what you see and they're allowed to do it. So when I say the rise of behavioral economics, I mean, they could do this. So when central banks can issue, um, when so, so when you hold your account with the central bank now, we're going to be looking at stuff like tax automation. So you're going to be taxed automatically. So that's going to, any HMRC, there's going to be no reason for them to exist because they can tax you directly. Um, they can also affect you directly. So let's say you're a baby boomer and you're coming to the end of your life. So, you know, you're holding on to your money because you're using it for your retirement and, and to pass down the wealth. Now, they could sort of, they could drop their interest rates directly to force them to put their money back into the system. And wow. then if, you, if you're a student, they can affect you directly because then they could be like, look, you're a student. We want you to save more so we could increase your interest rates directly because you're a student and force you to save more. And they could do they could only do this directly from the from a central bank digital currency, because right now they can't do it. They everybody has to live by the same rules. But, you know, let's say you're a big drinker, for instance, and it goes to a lender and they're like, OK, let's look at your bank and they know exactly what you've bought. Like they could see it now if they really wanted to, right. Then they see your statements and stuff, but they could get that amount of information that can go to the central bank. They can see everything. So they can, they could make decisions based on you directly as an individual person, instead of saying, right, everybody's on a 0.1% interest rate with the bank of England. They could do this directly to you for your personal situation. And this is just the way the world's going. And, you know, yeah, you, it's easy to like brush this off, but we've got to look at the way tech is affecting everything. And this is another thing with the housing market. People, so tech is basically eating everything. It's affected every single industry in the world and is continuing to do so. So if people are that naive to think it's not going to affect the housing market, then again, re-look at what's going on. Look at modular builds. Look at 3D print construction. Mm -hmm. Taylor Wimpy are already using modular uh, build roofs. There's, there's already modular builds out there now. And if if you can, like, obviously these house builders are going to make the most of this um, when it first gets rolled out on a mass scale. But if you can go online today, James, right, and you can you can build your, your whole house, say Taylor Wimpy's got a site um, in Hackney, um, well, let's not use Hackney, let's use somewhere <laughs> else, but let's say Taylor Wimpy's got a site somewhere in London, right? And um, they're like, okay, look, what do you want your house to look like? And you go online, you design the whole house down to the tiles on the wall, and they could you they can now do this at a fraction of the price because we're looking at modular builds. Then what's going to happen to the, the housing market? Now, now, look, I'm not saying people aren't going to want your tra traditional houses, right? Because I, I personally, in I'm not that bothered, but um, probably I'm not, you know, I would like to have houses the way they are now, but I'm not that bothered. I, I wouldn't care if I had a modular build. Maybe my mum would want the, the traditional um, construction of houses in the UK. But what happens to the, the generation of, say, our kids, James? Are they going to really care if they have... No. A, a house built this way or, or or if it was modular they're not going to care if they can build it online and for a fraction of the price they're not going to care about the other houses now this may not affect the actual housing market because of age and generations for prop maybe 40 or 50 years but it's something we need to take into account because let's say it happens in 20 years because we see how fast tech's moving right so let's say it happens in 20 years then yeah you need to start thinking about it because our mortgages are usually 25 so people who are like, I'm not worried about that because that's years away. Well, yeah, your mortgage product's 25 years or 30 years or whatever it is. So you need to start thinking about it now because you're in this for the long, the long game. But yeah, is and 3D print construction is another monster on his own. So it's it's like the way the way this is going, especially from a tech point of view, tech is everything. You know, the central bank digital currencies, that's tech. The 3D print construction, modular builds, that's tech. These new Amazon drones that are going to be in your house as home security units, that's tech. The new Apple cars that are going to be coming out and Tesla, tech. 
that we're going to see probably Apple, Tesla and Amazon Airlines because all the airlines out there now are struggling and most of them are probably going to fail. So tech is taking over everything. And f- first to be naive towards it, then we're, we're just, we're, we're going to become, all you're going to do is become a victim. That's pretty much what's going to happen. I'd rather be aware of it and be cautious of it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying stop investing in property or anything else because I would say, never say stop investing, but invest, but be cautious, at least understand what you're doing. Because, you know, we've seen, like I said, some of the biggest companies become insolvent this this year, right? And, and it's continuing to happen. And when you think of how banks have allowed companies to be over leveraged, they get, they're, they're allowing um, investors to be over leveraged as well. So if you look at um, the one I love to use as an example is Hertz. So, you know, uh, Hertz is a global company and there's 24 uh, billion in debt, right? They are 1 billion cash reserves on their balance sheet. So they was over leveraged by 23 times. Now, wh- why was that allowed? Because if like, you know, you've had your own business, James, I've had my own business and we're, we're not allowed to do that. Small businesses don't get that help. Small businesses aren't allowed. If we if we did that, we'd be looked at as a bad business that should fail. But yeah, because yeah. these massive companies and corporations have all the backing and they have some huge investors, they get looked after. Like, let's be fair, Hertz, Monsoon, Victoria's Secret, Debenhams, they was all bad companies. You know, they, they had their time, and but they was bad companies. That's why they went into administration. So allow them to fail. And why not help the life and blood of the economy, which is small businesses? Because small businesses, regardless of bounce back loans, regardless of grants, they've been destroyed throughout this. You know, is and even with furlough, people, small businesses, some have been able to survive because they haven't had huge overheads. But you know, there's a coffee shop in my area, right? It's a family run business, and yeah, they're still going, right? But I, I can see their pain, and 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 people like those should be helped because they're the they are the life and blood of the economy. They pay way more taxes, regardless of how the, the the value of the taxes the big companies are paying. Let's be fair, the life and blood of the economy is small businesses. And I feel that, you know, they don't get looked after like they should. And, you know, what what's going on, especially in the States, right? American Airlines laying off a third of their workforce. Delta, they laid off 7,000 pilots, right? There was some of those pilots on 250K a year. So what job are they going to get now? They, they, if they can't be a pilot anymore, what they can't go to Tesco or Walmart in the States and say, look, I, I'm going to, you know, dampen my ego and I'm going to take a, a, a massive um, salary cut and work here. Because even if they was willing to do that, they're probably going to say you're overqualified. Mm. Like th- th- this is the problem we're going to be having. And this is going to be the knock on effect for years to come because, because we didn't allow this to roll over when it first happened we tried to like sort of prop it up and like look this can't happen yet it's not going to happen under my watch then because of this it's going to be a knock-on effect for years to come it could all happen at once but some of these companies are never going to come back so it's it's definitely you know we're probably going to see the worst year of corporate defaults in history next year more than likely when when all the incentives stop if they stop you know, we've he was furlough until April now. Like, come on, like what? It was October. It was only meant to be till October. <laughs> Mate, I remember sitting there in March thinking, okay, we're, we've got locked down for three weeks, and I was panicking about having three weeks off, twiddling my thumbs. I thought, all right, it'd be three weeks off. We'll all be back to normal in three weeks' time. I'll have this as a little break. And what? We're still here, you know. <laughs> and I'm still here twiddling. Well, I'm not twiddling my thumbs, but you know what? Yeah. Everything you said there about the banks having some kind of system where they can watch you, they know what's going on. I'm getting one word coming to my mind in all of this, and it's control. Yes. Would you agree that this is some kind of, there's something going on here to control everybody and make this a level playing field for everyone because it's been far too much of a, you know, a playboy's paradise where guys have got away with shit for too long with overseas storing bank accounts here, getting away with doing this, not paying the right taxes, big corporations getting away with it. And like you say, the little businesses suffering because they're the ones that end up paying the most amount of tax because are they a little bit wet behind the ears when it comes to knowing what to do or are they just straight up people straight up businesses that are just there to earn a living yeah 100 percent is control and i know when people talk about this subject they talk about conspiracy and stuff but if you look right if, if anyone wants to go and look at it it's not a secret go on the world economic forums website and there's a video on there 
then they talk about the Great Reset, right? Now, these people basically say we're, we're having a Great Reset, that the major assets, they're basically saying that you're not going to own anything anymore. By 2030, you're not going to own nothing anymore, and you're going to be happy not owning nothing. That's basically what they're saying, and that, that's what they say. There's no secret. There's no – most of the information that's going on out there is on these websites, so World Economic Forum, the IMS website, the Federal Reserve, anything that people want to know that they think is conspiracy. If you look on their website, you can download articles. You can download all the documents you want to read that tells you what their plan is and what, what they're doing. So there's no conspiracy, like – I'm not, I'm not even talking about the whole COVID stuff. I'm just talking about as far as um, control goes. That's why, look, think about it. If you if you got a bank, a bank account directly held with the central bank that forces them forward, they can do tax automation. They can link a health passport to it. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no, we're living, we're going to be living in an AI dependent future, whether we like it or not. Now, I know people talked about, oh, they're going to, there's a conspiracy on health passports and stuff, but look, it's going to happen. You know, if, if, if you, if you, it may not be, um, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, oh, if you haven't got the vaccine, then you can't come in here. That, it wouldn't surprise me if it goes that way, but it's definitely going to go if you haven't had a test within the last few days to say that you haven't got COVID, then you can't go in the shop. You can't do things. I, it's def, I feel like it's definitely going to go that way. And they can, because of blockchain technology, they can link it all to say one ledger. So you could have your passport, your health passport, your credit passport, your bank account, all in one place, and they can oversee everything so it's 100 control um but yeah if you think about it the the, the global economies each so each individual economy are businesses so they if you're dipping off and not paying taxes here and there or you're doing little you know tax avoidance and legally <laughs> in any way you can um they want they, they'd rather have control but what does that do to the small businesses such as um, hairdressers or beauticians and stuff, right? If if you if cash goes, which it, it will, <laughs> um, when it goes, now hairdressers like to keep you know a little bit of money back here and beauticians because it makes it more appealing to become a, a hairdresser or a beautician. If everything is taxed, then what's the hourly rate? What does it go down to? And does it make it worth doing anymore? You know what I'm saying? So a lot of these smaller businesses that have benefited from you know they're not they're not come on they're not they're not breaking the law as such you know they're they're saving a bit of money here and there just like people write stuff off wherever they can to save a bit of money and um, but if, if it's tax automation then this is no longer possible so a lot of um jobs and small businesses are no longer appealing to own because it's going to be way harder to make any money doing it and as far as I'm concerned, I think commercial landlords have, are going to have no choice soon enough but to lower their rents because apart some of these big stores, like I know Primark on online, but let's say um, some massive stores, like let's say a big Gucci store in London or um, big JD store or something. Okay, when when everything does go online, because we all know that's the way it's going, the only use for these places, I think that we're probably going to see shopping centers are probably going to become Amazon fulfillment centers or just fulfillment centers for those shops. They won't be shops anymore. There'll be more fulfillment centers where you can go and collect stuff because I don't see what else other use you can have for them, especially in Wales, because of the way permitted development is in Wales. You can't be turning like the local shopping center where I live, you can't turn that into residential. They won't allow it. So they're either going to have to reassess and change the whole thought process on PD in Wales. And they may have to change it in London too. Cause there's some like, let's say Westfield, for instance, right? Like what's the chances of them turning that into residential? Well, I, I reckon it could be pretty high, mate, if I'm honest with you, because well, what are you going to do with all that space? Yeah, exactly. So you would think right now, if you said that to a councillor right now, they'd say not not a chance. No, we're not doing it. Not in a million it's, years. Yeah. yeah, it's a shopping centre. That's what it is. But th- at some point, they're going to have to force their hand because, for one, like I said, we don't build enough houses, so we're going to always be looking for new space for people to live. And secondly, if if there's no shops in there, <laughs> it's just a big building. <laughs> mm. No, you're so, right, yeah. mate. You're right. Yeah, you know, I hundred percent agree with you. So, D, what are you doing then? Tell me, what's your investment strategy? What are you up to? Because 
I know me and you've had this conversation before where I said to you, look, AD, I'm feeling a little bit nervous about these particular bits that I've bought. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking to offload because I ain't going to lie to you. There are. I mean, I'm I, you know, something that you said early on automatically you go out there and you look for the positive. You want your mind to be fed and say, hey, James, don't worry, mate. He's doing it. It's all good. This is all good. We're all good. But you don't really want to face the whole negative saying, hey, mate, listen, look, the unis are closed. No one's around. The nightclubs are closed. The bars are closed. No students want to be here. Let's face facts. It's going to be a long time before this is going to be full of students again. You know, it's almost as if your ego gets dented when you hear the real truth or you see the real truth. You just want to massage that nice bit that's always used to getting what it's wanting to get. So based off of that, mate, what what decisions have you made in your investment strategy? Because I know you said you're not out of property completely. If the right deal came along, you'd move on it. But obviously, I've seen you over the last few months concentrating more on the digital side. The digital assets are coming out, you know, the 5am club TV, the 5am club. You know, it's just grown colossal. It's a great place. you know, so what is it that you're doing moving forward now, which is different to what you might have been doing pre-COVID? So when it comes to property, um, going forward into next year, the only things I'm really going to be focused on is probably social housing. Um, I like the thought of guaranteed rent um, to mitigate most of the risk. Um, I did like the service accommodation model. Um before they locked, started locking stuff down again, I thought that it's quite a low barrier to entry to get into it. It's not a massive set of fees and it's, it's a much easier thing to get out of um, if things hit the fan rather than a big long-term mortgage product. So I think that when the market opens back up and the vaccine, however long it takes, does start to get rolled out on a bigger scale and more confidence comes back in. I think service accommodation will be a good place based on the fact that it's going to be harder to travel abroad because of all the stuff that's going on. So I think that it'll be more appealing to people to go and travel to maybe the town next to them and stuff or wherever it is. So I think that is a has, has potential, but mainly property-wise, it's going to be focused on more guaranteed rent uh, more than anything because I have had a few issues through COVID with um, tenants. Um, but yeah, uh, overall, I'm looking to, I thought when all this happened, and like you said, it dented my ego too. I thought I knew exactly what I was doing. Um, and I thought when I did challenge my opinion and I was wrong, I was thinking, shit, what am I, I don't know what to do. Like, what, what am I going to do? So I thought, right, I need to delve into this as deep as I can and find out what's going on so I can, so this doesn't affect me. So what I've been doing is thinking about what, how can I build an overall portfolio of assets, which could withstand a, a crisis if it happened. So I've just been looking to sort of completely diversify across the board. Um, I'm definitely looking massively, obviously into the crypto space, as, as you know, um, just because I feel that, look, there's the massive companies are endorsing, cryptocurrency that's just the way it's going now we've seen some we've seen micro strategy invest all their cash reserves into bitcoin we've seen blackrock debating investing in bitcoin this london hedge funds um going into bitcoin it's the institutional money's flowing into it right and and that sort of again challenged my opinion i thought okay in 1933 um the government's banned gold so i thought they could quite easily ban bitcoin could they you know if they want, if, if they made it like, you know, it's illegal to own it and you'll go to prison if you own it, how many people would be like, I'm out of this. I don't want to go to prison. So I'm just going to sell it. So I thought, you know, that there's a risk in Bitcoin from that point of view. But then when I started seeing all the institutional money flowing in, I thought, okay, now these companies would not be doing this if. Do you think there's a chance that that could happen? Could it get banned? I think, yeah, I think there's going to be some countries that will probably ban it. Um, but is because it's decentralized and there's no and this has no jurisdiction there's going to be some countries that just fully endorse it so but when i seen the institutional money flowing in that's what changed my mind a little bit um the only thing with bitcoin like i said when i do challenge my opinion is because it's such a small market right now we're looking at like 500 billion dollars which i know is a lot but can in comparison to like the s p 500 and that the forex market, for instance, is a very small market. So the the whale money, like the big money, could move the market. There's con- there's companies that got enough money to move their market. So I was thinking, could they pump this right up and then short the whole thing, and it mm. falls down on all the, us retail investors on our faces? So I'm always looking at it, and I'm always looking at what what I'm doing with it. But then when I see like Amazon, Google, Facebook, all um, 
using ether, I was thinking, right, this is this is different now. And you know, you've got um governments endorsing V chain and there's there's so much going on in the space right now and the amount of the the big institutions endorsing it. I'm thinking, okay, and then when I seen JP Morgan say who was in 2017 hated Bitcoin, they called it a scam and a fraud, when they come out and was like, right, we think it now has considerable upside in a store of value over gold. I was like, okay, this is JP Morgan saying this now. This is this is changing. And I think that, you know, in, in all the central banks, if you read sort of their documents on their websites, none of them are saying, right, Bitcoin, we don't like Bitcoin. They're all saying, right, we're going to create our digital currencies. Bitcoin's here to stay. And it's just part of the system now. That So when I look at it from that sort of angle, I'm thinking, right, it's, it, it is a good investment, especially long term. And when you look at gold, so gold is what we class as a store of value right now. And I still like gold, but gold is a $10 trillion market, right? Now, Bitcoin, if they're going to say this is digital gold, like they're all saying, we're a $500 billion market. Now, wow. 1 million to 1 billion is massive. 1 billion to 1 trillion is huge. So we haven't even touched the surface from a store of value point of view for Bitcoin. And it's not just Bitcoin. I like loads of different cryptos. You know, I'm more invested in other cryptos than Bitcoin, to be fair. Um, but yeah, so I'm definitely in the crypto space. Um, I'm also like emerging markets. So I love the Middle East. Um, you know, I like uh, Africa. So uh, India, to me, I think India is probably my favorite market as far as emerging markets go, they have a very young population and they're all endorsing blockchain technology bigger than most. And I think that India has massive growth, huge population, huge young population. So yeah, I'm looking at sort of um, a lot of the emerging markets as well as like crypto and many other things. I'm just trying to create a basket of stuff that if if the housing market rolled over, then it doesn't matter too much because um, for one, I've hedged my risk because I've got guaranteed rent. And two, my maybe my emerging market side of stuff could be performing well. Or if that doesn't perform well, then my crypto stuff will perform well. So I just want a level playing field where um, it doesn't really affect me if, if all this comes and goes to shit. <laughs> mm, mm. I'm with you, mate. I'm with you. You know, I'm thinking back now in 2018, April 2018 is when my, you know, when my print firm went into liquidation. And I think that was the worst day I could class as my life. But I look back now and I see some of the shit that people are going through with printing, especially with events, especially with exhibitions, because those guys, what's that? An $83 billion industry, they're saying one of the hugest and they have not been able to do fuck all since March. And that's where almost 80% of my work used to come from. And I'm thinking, I sit here and I think, you know what, that was the worst day of my life. But I'm looking back now and I'm laughing because I'm thinking, damn, James, you had a fucking lucky escape. Maybe you knew something, you know, maybe you decided to exit that market. Okay, there was reasons why you exited it, but maybe there was a reason behind it. And I think now, that was the best day of my life. Because if I'd be sitting here in 2020 and I still had that firm and the running costs, the operational costs, I would be a absolute nervous wreck right now, you know? And I can understand why there's such a flipping high suicide rate with the business owners right this time. Because mentally, if you haven't owned a business, you know, like you said, you've owned a business, you know the pains when shit yeah. happens. I know the pains. And it's so heartbreaking when you walk down the high street and you see these shops closed because you think to yourself, they're fucking suffering, man. They're crying. You know, yeah. independent brands are crying. I just driving through central London today, seeing all the coffee shops closed, all the places that should be hustling and bustling. People are crying, man. So for me, I think what was a disaster was a blessing in disguise. And now my whole thinking on everything is absolutely flipped upside down, just like yours, you know. Okay, I have a London HMO being made, but even that, I'm exploring the options of getting that put on a supported living contract Mm. with a care provider because people always need care, you know, and they need places to live in care. And care providers are going to give you a long-term five-year, 10-year, all-repairing lease, and you can let it and you forget it and you know and you're letting them forgetting it on a high amount of rent where you're going to earn some decent money so like yourself i'm completely trying to flip the whole strategy and people are saying to me james why are you selling assets that are generating you good income each month and i'm thinking 
when these generate me good income, they're great yeah. assets. But yeah. when they're sat there empty and I can't get a flipping tenant, and okay, people are saying, "Oh, do you know what? Just just be a little bit patient. You know, it will come back." And I'm thinking, "Nah." The more patient <laughs> I'm being, I can't see this shit coming back. So if somebody's ready to buy it off me, why not? Let's get it gone. Yeah, mate. Do you know what? Right, if if you rent that HMO out. Um, to care it'll be the best care hmo i've ever <laughs> seen that hmo is literally it's like a hmo on steroids it's a one of the best i've ever seen what are you doing with that hmo unbelievable mate <laughs> mate yeah no i'm just uh, if, if we ever get out of this lockdown the plan was to have our first ever networking event at the hmo so hopefully, hopefully hopefully mate fingers, fingers crossed, crossed. <laughs> But listen, before I wrap it up, mate, what, you know, it's been mind blowing listening to some of this stuff. It's had me propped up, you know, and I'm, uh, I'm with you, man. I, I, I'm a strong believer, you know, I'm going down the digital route. I strongly feel education online is a massive thing for people, which is still huge. In fact, I'm exploring this option. You know, I come from a teaching background. My, my, my wife's an award winning science teacher. So we're exploring the option of creating a whole new digital asset for education because if people are locked up at home, there's got to be a new way of learning and it has to be a little bit better than just meeting someone face-to-face, more interactive. So we're already exploring this stuff because we are nervous. We are scared. And, you know, if someone like me who's okay in in life is nervous, then someone fucking five years behind me who's just starting out should be shitting themselves, really. You know, what is your advice to anybody sitting there right now thinking, oh, my God, what the fuck is going to happen? What should I what should I be doing as a person right now to try and foolproof or put some kind of plan in place for this not to affect me or for it to for me to mitigate my risk or for it to affect me in a minimal way? First, I say forget about all vanity metrics. Don't try and keep up with the Joneses next door. Um, Forget instant gratification. Let's forget all of this. Doesn't matter what someone's doing on social media. Everyone's seeking social approval approval from people they don't know. So, look, first thing I would do is if you're not online already within your business, go online. If you don't know how to do it, find someone who can show you how to do it. Because, like I said earlier on, people are paying for space on people's timelines and people are boosting posts and sometimes they're not reaching the the people they need to. So 100% take your business online if it's not already and if you can. Um, Two, try and understand what it is that's going on. Um, You know, you haven't got to listen to me, you know, but try and understand a little bit more about what's going on so you can you you can understand when things happen two if you're investing in assets please try and understand the asset you're investing in and look look at the asset class from an outside point of view as well um just because someone else has success in it doesn't mean it is ready for you or you're going to have success in it um but yeah first first and foremost work on your mindset because you know people are going through some very difficult times now if if you're not personally um there's always someone that is and a lot of people are at the moment so before you can do anything or make any shift in your life you need to work on your mindset so brainwash your mind with positivity brainwash your surroundings so brainwash your mind with your surroundings get some good people good people in the network but look if anyone ever messaged me and i know james does the same and i know a lot of people will and wants advice or help you know we're, we're not the best but if we can help you or we can say one thing that gives you that bit of positivity and makes you feel better for that day, then we'd love to do it. So definitely surround yourself with the right people. Because um, look, something my dad said to me before, he said, um, the only difference to where you are today and where you're going to be in five years are the people you meet in the books you read. And yeah, it might not be right for everybody. Um, but even if you change the books to online education, like James mentioned, like, YouTube's the best online education platform in the world. You can find anything you want out on out on YouTube for free. So, you know, if you want to delve deeper into a specific subject, then you can pay people to do it. There's people out there to do it. So definitely recondition your mind with the people around you and what the stuff you take in because we can turn on, on our news every single day and find the negativity. It isn't hard to do that or look on your Facebook timeline. But yeah, get online if you're not online and condition your mindset for wherever life brings to you (laughs) oh wow i love that dude you know especially the thing you just mentioned about vanity matrix you know i'm i'm with you on that because uh you know a lot of people talk about this you know it's it's not just about how many followers you got on instagram you know i did a post the other day and i did it purposely where i said hey get me to three thousand followers before the end of the year and someone messages in saying 
oh my god, I can't believe James is not past three thousand followers. And yeah. if that was somebody who took that to heart, they would have been like, oh shit, you know, mm. maybe I maybe I'm not doing something right. And I'm thinking, nah, I know that little number is just a vanity matrix. That doesn't mean anything to me. That is why I use my social platform to talk real shit. I will tell you if I fucked up. I will tell you if I've messed up because. I always say Instagram is one of those places that is just a polished piece. People just show you polished pieces of turd. No one shows you the real turd. You know, you want to see the real turd when it's coming out, when things are going wrong, not when it's nicely polished and everything looks great, because that is fake, 100%. And you know what, mate? I I think more people need to do it because, um, like you said, it's easy to um, look like everything is good. It's so easy to post great stuff around. I think that what you're doing with that is is helping more people than you think and like i said the what does the followers really matter right if you have a hundred thousand followers but you only have i don't know two thousand of those engaging in your stuff and actually listening to you then there's no difference to having three thousand followers and having two thousand of those engaging in your stuff I, i can't remember who said it and in what book but i think somebody said if you get a thousand followers that are engaged with you and listen to you then that's all you need to, I think, build a profitable business. And yeah, like end of the day, I'd rather touch a thousand people guaranteed every time you post something than have loads of followers and not touch hardly anybody. So I think what you're doing is great. And like you said, followers don't matter. None of it really matters, to be fair. Let's be let's be fair. Like in life, I know you can hear money off social media and stuff, but if we consistently focus on keeping up with the Joneses next door or, you know, what all it does is make us more insecure because we're looking at things that we want, but we don't have yet. And they always look like they're doing better than us. And just, we just need to focus on ourselves and grow ourselves as individuals. And all that comes afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, mate. I don't really give a monkeys what anybody else is doing. I've said it before. My biggest competition is myself. I wake up in the morning, I look at myself in the mirror and I think, you're going to beat your runtime today or you're not going to get injured or you're going to do this. And you know what? When you make yourself your biggest competition, everything else around you just becomes a blur and you're in tunnel vision, focusing with your own goals, your vision and your purpose. So yeah. I'm going to finish it there with you, but that's been, that has been some awesome stuff you've delivered today. Go on, what were you going to say? I was just about to say, just before we wrap up that, like you mentioned then, look at how many people that you've inspired from you posting about you running at 5 a.m. in the morning. Look how many messages you get. Look how many people, mate, you inspire me. When when I see you up at that time and I, I haven't gone for a run at that time, I feel that like, shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know this is where the vanity metrics come in, but that's inspirational to me. I'm not looking at that thinking, oh, that's what he's doing. So I need to do this. I'm, I'm looking at that from a point of view where it's like, shit, if he's doing that and he's got his mindset's conditioned to do that, then I'm lacking. I need to, I need to condition my mindset to be like, look, I'm up at that time doing something. And that, so, you know, how many people you've inspired yourself. So uh, I, but mate, doing- I, I think only a person who's got the right mindset would think like you did just there, mm-hmm. that you need to be up doing something like that as well. Because I, when I post, I get so many people unfollowing me and sending me messages <laughs> as well saying, Oh no, not again. And for me, the 5am run was always about just posting it for myself so i'd hold myself accountable mm. there's been times in the beginning of the week where i've made claims like i'm going to do 50 kilometers this week or i'm going to do 60k this mm. week and i might only get to 58 and people will laugh at me but i'd rather put myself publicly accountable and have people cuss me and say come on you can do it you know it's never been about oh i'm so great i'm doing this and there's been people on the actual 5am club like your 5am club that have said james what's your 555 all about and i'm like yeah. well it's not an official club it's just get up at five o'clock, do five runs five days a week, and that's it. <laughs> and they're like, is it as easy as that? And then I get people coming on saying, I'm going to join, and then they're gone by the third day. But still, <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. I'm, I'm, I'm lacking. I'm like, I need to get, I need to get my stuff together. <laughs> but mate, before we wrap it up, just tell yeah. everyone about the Five AM Club. I'm a massive fan of the Five AM Club. I'm often there, I'm often there in the morning in the pouring rain with my yeah. torch on my head joining it. <laughs> but tell them about it. So yeah, so the 5am club is an online networking event. We have a different speaker every single week that provides value and education in different topics. Um, and yeah, so there's just, it's just a really sort of engaged community where everybody, we sort of hold each other accountable because if someone's not there, uh, you know, I, I see, I know people message each other like, you know, why weren't you there? But yeah, we're just trying to build um, the biggest online platform in the UK that offers 
educational content, but also offers a tight knit networking community where everyone wants to help each other. That's pretty much what it is. Wow. And I, you know, I'm on there myself. I try to join most weeks and uh, it's an awesome place. And, you know, I, I take value from even people who are at the beginning of their journeys. I've seen people come on there that may only be doing, you know, hundred thousand pound turnover a year to people that are doing millions of pounds of turnover. Mm -hmm. And I always find if you're receptive to learning, you could learn something from anybody, somebody on day one of their journey or someone who's been in business for, you know, 50 years. So great place. hundred percent. Mate, it's been awesome. I'll put all your contact details in the show notes. I'm so glad I'm back recording podcasts. And, you know, when people are listening to this, it is going to be 2021. And let's (laughs) hope it's a good one. So everybody have a good new year. I hope their goals are already set. (laughs) Yeah, and your vision and your purpose and you're ready with your New Year's resolutions. 100%, mate. It's been a pleasure, mate. Appreciate the invite on here as well. No, thanks for joining me, mate. See ya. Cheers, mate. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.